Welcome to the Antioch Podcast. We're a justice-minded Christian church in beautiful Bend, Oregon, seeking and celebrating the reconciliation of all things. May the word of Christ dwell in you fully and give you peace. The scripture reading today is from the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled throughout the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, David. Morning, church. Good to see you all today. If you're new with us or just checking us out, really glad that you're here. My name's Pete. I'm one of the pastors, and uh, we hope that you can connect with God and other people in a meaningful way this morning. I hope you don't mind. I dressed down a little since it's like 95 today, and uh, I got these uh, recovery flip-flops that people wear like after they do triathlons and stuff. Uh, the sign at REI said it's the perfect shoe for whenever you're not running or working out, which for me is literally all the time. Um, so it worked out pretty well. During this uh, season that we're calling Summertide, we are journeying through Genesis, the book of beginnings. And uh, if you remember, a few weeks ago, I shared with you an outline of the big story of the Bible that breaks down the grand narrative of Scripture like a six-act play. There are a few different ways people do it, but I find this to be a helpful way. Um, and what you'll notice is that the first three acts of the play, the stories of creation, fall, and Israel, um, all take place in Genesis, or have their beginning in Genesis, at least. And so, as you can see, Genesis 12 is a hugely significant chapter in the story of the Bible. It marks the end of Act 2 and the beginning of Act 3. And Act 3 makes up 
uh, more than 75% of the Bible. So it starts in Genesis 12 and then goes all the way through the rest of the Old Testament, all the way to the book of Malachi. And it is the story of Israel. And the story of Israel is absolutely indispensable to the story of Bible, the Bible, and ultimately the story of Jesus. And so um, what we see in Acts 3, in Act 3, <laughs> is God's master plan, his plan to redeem and restore his entire creation back to himself. And this plan ultimately culminates in Jesus, but it starts with a man named Abram. And what's crazy about Abram's part in the story is that really we get the idea that he was kind of a nobody. Um, he was just some average Joe living with his family in the land of Ur. And then seemingly out of nowhere, God speaks to Abram and tells him to get up, to leave everything behind, and to go start his life over. So in verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. So Abram's living there in Ur, which was probably one of the most important and advanced cities in ancient Mesopotamia. It was a political, economic, cultural, and technological hub of the, of the known world. Um, this part of the biblical narrative takes place during the Bronze Age. And so it was a time of discovery and innovation and civilization. And Ur was right there in the middle of the action. And so Abram's there enjoying life with his family when seemingly out of nowhere, Yahweh appears to him and tells him to leave it all behind and to start over. And this would be a big deal, especially in that time and in that culture, to leave his country, to leave his father's household, to leave his people. Uh, nobody did that. And this would mean leaving his identity, leaving his community, leaving his security, and starting over somewhere else. And it's not like Abram's just some 22-year-old guy going out for the first time. We're told in verse 4, he's 75 years old. And so that's not usually the stage in life when people decide they're going to start over and go mix it up somewhere else, right? But that's what God asked them to do. And to make it an even bigger ask, God doesn't tell Abram where they're going. He just says, leave your home and go to the land I will show you. That's a hard destination to put in your app uh, with your map, right? He says, just start going and I'll tell you when you're there. So it sounds like a lot that God is asking of Abram, but in the very next verse, we see that this call comes with a promise. In verse two, God says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God's calling on Abram comes with a promise. In these two verses, God makes five first-person statements. I will make you into a nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will, I will, I will. And so this is the picture that we see of God in the Bible. He's a God who loves to bless his people. A God who great, takes great delight in giving 
himself to his people. It's the very first thing God did when he created Adam and Eve. He blessed them. When Noah and his family got off the boat, God blessed them. And now when he calls Abram and his family to get up and go, God blesses them. But when God blesses his people, it's not just so that they'll be blessed, but ultimately so that they will be a blessing. Look at what he says to Abram. As he promises to bless him, he also promises, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And then all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God blesses Abraham, Abram, not so that, just so that Abram will be blessed, but so that Abram will be a blessing to the world. And this was God's plan for redemption from day one. He's going to redeem the entire world to himself, but the way he chooses to do that is by selecting this one family, Abraham and his descendants. And God says, I'm going to give myself to this family, and then they in turn can turn and give my life to the world. So from the very beginning, the deal was God's people aren't blessed just to be blessed. They're blessed to be a blessing. This was part of the original deal with Israel. And what that meant is that if an Israelite family moved into your neighborhood, you were stoked because they saw everything they had, not just for their own sake, but for the sake of their neighbors. So if your Israelite neighbor had a hot tub, you've got a hot tub. (laughs) If they had jet skis, you have jet skis. Whatever it is, they believed that they were blessed to be a blessing. And that's not just the deal for ancient Israel. We don't have time to break down the whole story and the relationship of modern followers Jesus to the Abrahamic covenant. But in short, what you see is that this becomes a paradigm that's woven all the way through the story of the scriptures and that Jesus and the apostles apply to our lives as Christ followers as well. For example, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 Paul says, praise praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. God comforts his people. Why? So we can be comfortable? No. So we can be comforters. He blesses us with comfort so that we can bless those around us with his same comfort. You see this all over the place. A couple more. Colossians 3. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Romans 15. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. And to kind of sum it all up, 1 John 4.11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Do you get the pattern? That whatever God does for you, whatever God gives of you, whatever blessings God brings into your life, materially or spiritually, love, forgiveness, comfort, acceptance, it's not just for your sake, but it's for the sake of the world. So this really, in some ways, can summarize the entire Christian ethic, the way that we strive to live in the world. 
to take the love and forgiveness and mercy and compassion that God has shown to us through Christ and to turn and to extend that to the world, blessed to be a blessing. Archbishop William Temple famously put it like this, the church is the only society that exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. It's a radical claim to make. And I think maybe you could, you could argue that there's a couple other societies like this. The Humane Society comes to mind in terms of <laughs> groups that exist for their non-members, but you get the point. Bonhoeffer says it like this. The church is the church only when it exists for others. As the church of Jesus, we don't exist for ourselves. As Antioch, we don't exist for Antioch. Why do we exist? First and foremost, for God. To worship and to praise him. And second, for the life of the world. To love our neighbors as ourselves. To be a blessing as we've been blessed. And so what that means is that just like those descendants of Abraham, what that should mean is that if a Christian family moves into your neighborhood, you'd be stoked. Because they see everything they have as a blessing from God that's meant to be shared as a blessing with others. And this can get played out in all kinds of extraordinary and ordinary ways both collectively as the church and individually as we scatter across the city. So for example, we live in a cul-de-sac in an older neighborhood on the east side of Bend. And we've got a great view of Pilot Butte from our front yard. And so every single 4th of July, for like 30 years, way longer than we've lived there, our neighborhood has gotten together and thrown a huge 4th of July party. And everybody brings their barbecues from their backyard out into the front. And we set up tents and tables and we cook together and we eat together and the kids play games and we toss cornhole. And then we all get together and get our lawn chairs and watch the butte catch on fire at the end of the night. And um, so this is something that we've been part of every year and it's always been fun. Now, the last couple of years, things have changed, obviously, because we can't do our own fireworks anymore, which used to be such a big part of the party. And so a few weeks ago, before the 4th, I started thinking, what could we do out in the cul-de-sac that would kind of bring everybody together and give us a reason to get out there? And I thought, well, we've got this pool that my aunt and uncle gave us, and it's a giant 22-foot above-ground swimming pool that we usually set up in our backyard. What if I set that up in the middle of the cul-de-sac <laughs> as a neighborhood pool? <laughs> and so I went around and uh, ran the idea by some of the neighbors, and everybody thought it sounded amazing, so we did it. We set this pool up out in the middle, and all the neighbors brought out their garden hoses and filled it up. And uh, all weekend long, the 4th of July weekend, we had this community pool and kids coming from all over to swim in it. And I just give it as an example of a really simple, fun, white trash, redneck way <laughs> of <laughs> being, uh, being able to extend whatever you've been blessed with as a blessing to those around us. But it really was a beautiful thing to watch. And uh, 
most of the neighbors were pretty stoked about it. So, um, this is the deal God makes with Abram. I'll bless you so that you can be a blessing. Um, I want to look at one more part of this story in Genesis 12, and then we're going to shift gears a little bit. Um, We aren't given a lot of details about how it went down or how Abram felt about God telling him to pack up and leave and all that. All we're told is that Abram did it. He and his wife Sarai and their nephew Lot loaded up the U-Haul and they hit the road. And they just kept going until they got to this place called Canaan. And God said, this is it. This is the place I was telling you about. This is the land I've promised to you. So Abraham decides to go and check out the land. In verse 6 says, Abraham traveled throughout the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Now, I don't know if you'd catch this, but this is a major curveball in the story. (laughs) Because God leads Abram to this promised land, and it's beautiful and exciting, and this whole future is in front of him, but it turns out someone already lives there. And long story short, you don't mess with the Canaanites. These aren't people that are stoked about you just moving into their neighborhood. So this is a major roadblock. This is a huge disappointment. And you, you would think Abraham is starting to seriously question whether he's actually hearing from God or whether this whole thing was a bad idea. But how does he respond? In verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So Abram built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So God says, I know this isn't quite what you had in mind. And it's going to still be a little while. But I will give this land to your children and your children's children. I want you to trust me. And what does Abram do? He builds an altar and worships the Lord. Now, if you remember last week, we were looking at another story in Genesis where they build something. The story of the Tower of Babel is just one chapter earlier in chapter 11. And the way the narrative flows, it's like the author wants us to compare and contrast the building of the Tower of Babel with the building of this altar. So I showed you this picture last week. This is an ancient structure called a ziggurat. And this is, we think, most likely what the Tower of Babel might have looked like. We're told that the people were building this great kind of temple tower so that they could attract the favor of God, so that God would come and make his home among them. And we're told in Genesis 11 that the reason they were doing this was to make a name for themselves. The purpose behind building the tower was to make a name for themselves. But Abraham doesn't build a ziggurat. He builds an altar. He doesn't build to make a name for himself. He builds to worship the name of the Lord. And he doesn't build a tower so that God will bless him. He builds an altar for the God who already has blessed him and called him to be a blessing. 
And the picture that we're given then in the life of Abram is that this is what it means to live by faith. To trust God. Antioch, I want to take a few minutes and invite you to dream with me about how God might want to use this story to guide and form us as a community. Specifically when it comes to the questions of place, land, property, buildings. Um, Let me tell you a little bit of the story of this place. We started renting the top floor of this building in 2018. We renovated it and put in offices and some community spaces upstairs where youth groups and Bible studies and things like that could meet. And at that time, we were holding Sunday services across the street at Bend High. And then 2020 hit. COVID came, shut down the world, shut down Sunday services, and uh, we were no longer able to gather for in-person worship and, and went online. And in the midst of all of that, um, we were given the opportunity to purchase this building. Um, it had previously been a, another church, and they were no longer around, and the denomination asked if we'd like to buy it. Actually, to be honest, they offered it to us for free, um, conditional upon us joining their denomination. And so we said, well, how much would you like? Um, so, <laughs> so we bought the building at an amazing, about half of its market value at the time. And we spent the rest of 2020 and about half of 2021 uh, renovating the interior and kind of creating the space that we have here um, to be a a place that could serve our church on Sundays while Bend High was still uh, not available to us. And so it's been almost two years, August 8th, 2021, we moved in here and held our first worship services at Six and Clay. And that day was the first time Antioch had ever gathered in its own building um, since we were first planted in 2006. And so for the last two years, we've been holding services here. And we've also been using this building and property in whatever ways we can, not just for our congregation, but also for our neighborhood and for the larger community. And so in addition to Sunday services and youth groups and men's and women's groups and book clubs and Bible studies and all of that, uh, we've been able to share this space with a bunch of other people and a bunch of other organizations. And so for example, every single Sunday after we're done here, Diocesa Mora, a Spanish-speaking congregation, comes in and worships in this space. And we love them and love to partner with them. Local organizations and chapters like Young Life and Shepherd's House and After School Buddies um, use this building on a regular basis. We've also been able to share it with some kind of random groups that needed space. The Bend Swim Club and the Girl Scouts and homeschool groups and tutoring groups and counseling groups from uh, Bend Senior High. Um, We even got the chance to host a little memorial service for a neighbor of ours. Um, who needed a place, and uh, we were able to welcome them into this space. And all of that, free of charge, our opportunity to say we've been blessed, so how can we be a blessing? And so um, 
In addition to that, we've also launched a couple kind of cool initiatives using this place. Like Sean mentioned earlier, a bunch of Antiochers got together and built this neighborhood garden that is now up and running and uh, exists as, as, a, as a, a source of blessing for our neighborhood. And if you don't know, we have four parking spots on that side of the building that are designated as safe parking. It's a partnership we have with the city of Bend where people who are temporarily living in their vehicles have a place where they can um, park safely and have some resources and some time to get uh, back on their feet. And so we've seen a handful of people come through over the last couple of years that are now in permanent homes and just need a little bit of time. And so simple things like that, gardens and parking lots saying whatever we've got isn't just for us, we're blessed to be a blessing. And so we've gotten to do a lot of cool stuff, but at the same time over the last couple of years, it's been a little bit of a struggle to figure out, here's the best way I know how to put it, is this place our starter home or our forever home? <laughs> is this kind of just where we're gonna be for the next couple of years as we transition from Bend High to whatever's next? Or is this somehow going to be the place that we set up shop for the long haul? And so um, you can see that tension just with some simple observation that we've put some time and money and energy into renovating the interior of our building. The exterior, not so pretty, right? And the reason was, man, if we're not gonna be here that long, then we don't wanna invest a whole bunch putting lipstick on the pig, right? So um, let's make it work on the inside. And, and, uh, and so we've kind of, there's some deferred maintenance to say the very least. And because this building is so small, it's been hard to imagine that this could truly be our forever home. During these summer months, we fit okay inside here, but most of the year, it's pretty tight in here, and the tent works, you know, for part of the year. But um, it's, it's, it's been a, a struggle to figure out what is this place to us. And so for the last few years, um, our pastors and our elders and others that have been in these conversations have been kind of trying to figure out what, what could we do. And so we've uh, had serious conversations about trying to buy the Salvation Army building next door. And we've looked at um, the houses in adjacent lots and figure out, is there a way we can expand our property or expand our building that would serve us for the long haul? And the truth is that like um, door after door has closed, have closed on that front. And so, um, we, we hired an architecture firm at one point to help us dream about like what are the possibilities if we reimagined and repurposed our spaces here. And the reality is that we kept coming up against the same roadblocks over and over again. And it had to do simply with the fact that the city codes in, the, in Bend have minimum parking requirements that the moment we messed with anything on this plot of land, we were going to be required to put in way more parking spots than we currently have. So we're kind of grandfathered in in our current situation. And so that's super frustrating. And so um, behind the scenes, it's like there is this deep longing to stay in this place. We are right in the heart of the city of Bend. 
not on the east side or the west side or whatever, but right here in Midtown. And we're right across the street from Bend High, and we're right on the edge of this new Bend Central District that's going to be revitalizing this whole part of the city. But it's like, I don't know how we can stay here. And so um, for years now, we've been looking at other properties, other buildings, potential partnerships with other churches, like what, what is God leading us to? And um, open to anything, but really grieved the idea of having to leave this place and go by land east of town or south of town or whatever um, in order to set up shop there. And so that's been the process and been one of confusion and, and not really sure how to steward, how to navigate what we've been given here. But then something interesting happened. About six months ago, the Bend City Council voted to remove all minimum parking requirements in the city of Bend. And we didn't even know that this had happened at the time. But they joined this kind of national movement, especially prominent here in the Northwest, to make communities less car-centric. Fewer parking spots, fewer parking lots, fewer cars on the road, more walkable, more bikeable, hopefully reduce housing costs because nobody is required to have any parking spots at all. And so while Antioch had previously been limited by these parking uh, requirements, this code change meant that all of a sudden our entire lot is potentially able to be developed and built upon. What this means is that we think we found our forever home, and it's right here. (laughs) And our pastors and elders really feel like God has made it clear to us that this is the place that he has for us, and we want to settle here for the long haul. So here's what that means. First of all, it means you're going to notice this summer that we're starting to uh, do some of the stuff that we probably should have done a long time ago. Make this place a little bit more beautiful, a little bit more hospitable. We're going to be working on the landscaping. The building is going to get painted. We're building a kid's play area out here on the clay side of the building. Um, We're going to be putting in trees and and areas for people to gather, just working with the existing building and the existing layout. And so you'll start to see some of that stuff uh, happening over the next few weeks. So that's the first thing it means. Here's the second thing. It means it's time to start dreaming. How would God have us as a church steward this potentially buildable space that all of a sudden he's given us? How would this code change affect the way that we see our our property and our building and our mission here? How might we use this place, this plot of land at Six and Clay to better serve Christ and serve our congregation and serve the mission that he's given us? So we've already got a lot going here, but I think there's a lot more we could be doing. Here's a, uh, just a simple Google Earth image of our property at Six and Clay. It's not much. In fact, it's only a half acre. And um, you can see our white roofed building sitting there on the side. 
and the parking lot, which honestly, 90% of you don't even park in the parking lot. So it's been like, oh man, what a frustrating thing. Um, this whole half acre now is potentially buildable. We don't know what that looks like, and I don't want to get like too far ahead of myself, but let me just kind of show you a rough idea of the kind of thing that we're talking about. <laughs> and it's, the idea is it's just real simple, something subtle that blends into the neighborhood. You don't even really notice it. <laughs> um, for what it's worth, I'm very aware that I'm announcing a building project the week after preaching on the Tower of Babel. Okay? <laughs> um, that's why we want to build an altar, not a tower. Um, we want to build a place that points to God, not to ourselves. A place that exists for the sake of of its non-members, a place that truly will be a hub of blessing to our city and to our community for generations to come. So here's where we're at. First, we don't have a plan. Seriously, you know everything I know now. Secondly, we don't have any money. But what we do have is a community of people that we want to invite onto a journey of faith. A journey of prayerfully seeking God and asking how might he have us steward this property and this building. And we have some dreams that he's planted in our heart. So I don't know what this looks like. But here's what I'm hopeful of. I hope that whatever we do here will first and foremost be a place of worship where Christ is proclaimed as Lord by generations to come and his grace is received through word and water, bread and wine. We dream of a place of peace for our neighborhood deeply embedded in our local community, seeking to be a hub of blessing to our city. A place of justice for the poor, where orphans and widows, migrants and refugees are welcomed and served in Jesus' name. We dream of a place of community where people of all ages, classes, and colors are formed into a vibrant and eclectic expression of the family of God. We dream of a place of beauty where the image of our creator is celebrated through creative goodness, artistic excellence, and awe-inspiring architecture. And finally, we, we dream of a place of flourishing for all creation, where plants and animals, earth and environment are cultivated and cared for. We don't have a plan, and we don't have any money. But I want to invite you on a journey with us to an unknown destination, which strangely puts us in the same place as Abram and his family, going with God 
to places not yet known. To be honest, this isn't the style of leadership I prefer. (laughs) I would rather have a slick vision (laughs) that I could present to you and tell you where we're going. But instead, what we've discerned as pastors and elders is that we want to invite you as the congregation into this process. Not just to the destination, but to the journey to get there. And by so doing, we want to invite you into the world of Abraham and Sarah. The world not marked by certainty, but by faith. And so here's what I want you to do. Two things. For now, number one, pray, but for real. (laughs) Every, like, you know, vision pitch or whatever always says, well, yeah, you should probably pray for us. And I'm going, no, like, really do it. (laughs) I really want you to create space in your rhythm, in your heart, in your mind for the dreams of God. And in the coming months, starting this fall, we're going to create spaces as a congregation to gather and to share ideas, to pray, to discern, to really think together what would it look like to faithfully steward this place that God has given us. And so we don't just want good ideas, we want God's ideas. And so I really, really, really do ask you to start praying. And secondly, plan on giving. This will require an investment, an offering from all of us. So we have a building fund that we've opened. You can designate your checks building fund or you can go online and give to the building fund. But here's what I'm gonna say. I don't want you to give yet. I don't want you to throw 50 bucks in and feel like you did your part. I want you over the next months and years to start thinking about how would God actually call us to give in a way that might um, cost us something. And I want you to begin to plan and to pray about what that would look like. And we're going to go together and see where God leads us. I want to close with the words of Tim Keller when it comes to this story of Abraham. Ultimately, like we said, it begins with him, but it culminates with Jesus, the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and to go out into the void, not knowing whither he went to create a new people of God. You pray with me. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you were willing to leave the comforts of your father's home to come and to rescue us, to take your blessing and to turn it towards the world so we see ourselves as the recipient of your life and your love. And we also understand ourselves to be called as participants in your mission in the world. And so we say thank you, Lord, for Six and Clay. Thank you for this place, for this property, for this building. We continue to receive it from you as a gift. And now we ask, Lord, by your spirit, would you guide us into your future? Would you inspire us as a congregation to think and to dream 
about what it is that you would have us do and who it is you would have us be for the sake of this neighborhood, this city, for Central Oregon, and around the world. Help us to receive your love that we may extend it to the world around us. We come to you again this morning. Amen.